Arsenal fear that summer signing Urian Timber has suffered a serious knee injury. Say it isn't true. Welcome back to another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and it looks as though we got a bit of a problem. A bit of a problem with Urian Timber, our summer signing, and I have to say, the one that's probably settled into the team best, quickest, the one that, you know, I think a lot of people kind of allowed to kind of slip under the radar over the course of the summer, but somebody who certainly adds lots and lots to our team and lots and lots to our squad. This is desperately, desperately unlucky. Um, This is something that maybe could have been avoided. We'll get into that discussion and that debate during this next hour or so. Looking forward to hearing from you guys in the live chat as well. But yeah, um, not the news that we wanted, certainly. Um, Of course, let's be clear that at the time of recording, Arsenal officially, the football club themselves, have not put anything out with regards to what Urian Timber's injury is, how long he's expected to be sidelined. There is no official confirmation on any of this at this stage, and it is important to note that. But rumours began flying around a little bit earlier today. That's Monday afternoon. The story started to gather pace. Arsenal fans took to social media to express their disappointment, frustration at the news that Yuri and Timber could be facing a long spell on the sidelines. And just before we went live, uh, the Daily Mail put out a report, Sammy Mockbell uh, coming up with uh, some information on that. James Benj over at CBS Sports has also put out a report in the last 15 minutes or so. And it feels like most people's fears are becoming a reality that Urian Timber has indeed suffered a long-term injury. Look, we'll get into those reports. We'll break them down all in this next hour. We're also going to be doing a bit on Mikel Arteta's tactics at the weekend. That was going to be the leading feature on this edition of the podcast. That was my plan. That's why maybe when some of you got the notification that we were going live, you would have seen Thomas Partey as the big picture in the thumbnail. We were going to really go into and break down Thomas Partey's role at the weekend, um, whether that's something we might see going forward, all the rest of it. We'll still do that feature, but it is no longer our top story because our top story this afternoon is with regards to Urian or Jurian, I should say, Timber, after he confirmed that you should pronounce the J. Lots and lots to get into. Uh, We're going to be breaking it all down, as I say. Don't forget, if you haven't done already, um, if you are a regular especially, you know what you're going to get out of this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, Arsenal chat. Um, So please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. We continue to crawl towards that 30,000 subscriber mark, which we'd love to get to sooner rather than later. And if you're listening to us on audio, well, then please do leave us a review as well. That really Uh, really does help. So on this show, we're going to talk Timber. We're going to talk Partey's role and Mikel Arteta's tactics at the weekend. We're also going to talk following Balogun, Kieran Tierney, David Raya. What's the latest on all of that? And then we're going to take your questions towards the back end of the show as well. 
Nice to see lots of you joining us. It's a shame that the news we're going to discuss isn't all that great. Um, but anyway, let's um, let's share with you guys then what is being reported at the moment. So uh, according to Sammy Mockbell of the Daily Mail, there is growing concern at Arsenal that summer signing Urien Timber suffered a serious knee injury on his debut, Premier League debut, of course, in Saturday's win over Nottingham Forest. He is set for a lengthy spell on the sidelines. Now, if I go over to uh, James Benj, uh, he also uh, put out a piece on this. Here we go, James Benj. Where is it? There we go. Uh, here's his piece. Uh, after initial scans, Arsenal fear that Urian Timber has suffered a serious knee injury. Further assessments, though, could be required in the coming days to assess the possible damage to a meniscus. So whatever way you look at this, whichever way you, you package it up, however you try to decipher it, it looks like bad news for Julian Timber. And I have to say, that was my initial gut feeling when he came off of the pitch at the weekend. I said to you guys on the post-match podcast that I was in the radio room speaking to Mikel Arteta post-match. Well, I didn't ask the questions, but I was in that room and just looking at his eyes when he... When he spoke about that, you kind of got the feeling that it was something bad. Then we went into the press conference and again, he, he made no effort to play it down. I think when you know, you know. Um, and, and there is a big debate around this. You know, was it wise to send Jurian Timber back out onto the pitch for the second half after he picked up a knock at the end of the first half? That debate has been raging on over the last sort of 24 hours since the game took place. All the rest of it. Look, as far as I'm concerned, this just feels like rotten luck. The incident in which he sustained the damage or the incident from which he pulled up seemed pretty innocuous. There was nobody around him. You know, it wasn't a challenge. It wasn't, it didn't even look like that awkward a movement. You know, Mikel Arteta described it as a weird movement and, and I kind of get what he means. But I mean, I needed to see a replay to kind of figure out that, you know, it might have been a slightly awkward twist or turn. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's obviously bad news. We're going to talk about how we cope with this injury because for me, he was the one and is the one that will play at left back in the absence of Zinchenko, who clearly wasn't fit enough yet to be a part of the squad on Saturday. There have been concerns about his fitness for a little while. He missed a number of games last season through injury, which was obviously disappointing. Can we rely on him to be fit week in, week out? You know, we we paid a lot of money for Zinchenko. He's not exactly at the back end of his career. We need him to step up and we need him to be fit and available. And look, if Zinchenko's fit and available every single week, then I don't think that we're going to miss Yuri and Timber desperately. But we can't rely on Zinchenko based on recent evidence to stay fit week in, week out. I don't think Tommy Asu's quite as comfortable playing in that left-back position when he's asked to do that inverted role. Jakub Kivio could be an option. There's so much speculation around Kieran Tierney's future. Will he even be an Arsenal player by the end uh, of this month, start of the next month? We we don't really know. And um, look, when you go and drop 35-plus million pounds on a player, it's disappointing to know one game in that you're probably going to be without him for a long period of time. But it is what it is, and, and there's not much we can do about it. The, the fact is we've got a squad now, and we're going to need to use that squad to kind of accommodate for the fact that we have lost this player. Um, as I say, no official confirmation from the club at the moment. Um, 
Kenny in the chat says, I thought Harry had some information. I don't have any definitive information. I don't have a yes or no with regards to whether this is true. Um, but I do trust people that have, or, or the people that have been telling me over the last few hours that this looks quite bad and is of real concern to Arsenal Football Club. So I'm not hopeful, if I'm honest, that we're going to get an announcement from the club that completely squashes this and, you know, says, hey, you know, it, this is not true. He'll be back in a few weeks. Look, best case scenario is that he misses two, three months. That's the best case scenario from what I'm being told at this moment in time, which is obviously disappointing. But hey, there's no point crying over spilt milk. There's not a lot we can do about it. Just on that point, though, about, you know, whether he should have come back out. I don't think the two injuries, so the one that he picked up, which was a kind of clash of legs after he committed a foul at the back end of the first half and what ultimately led to him having to be withdrawn after pulling up are related. That's my feeling um, based on having watched them both back, um, you know, since the incidents took place, of course. The other thing is as well, like, but I've seen all this chat on social media and, and lots of people saying, sack the medical team. Whoever allowed Urian Timber or whoever advised that Jurian Timber, I keep saying Jurian, Jurian, I'm going to take a bit of time to get used to that. Whoever advised that it was okay for him to go back out on the pitch from a medical point of view should be held responsible for this. Look, that is classic 2023 culture. Who can we find to blame? Bit of misfortune, unfortunate incident, desperately disappointing. And so somebody has to be hung out to dry. Look, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, if you're a physio, if you're a doctor, if you're part of the club's medical staff, yes, you are going to assess the injury to the best of your ability. Yes, you are going to extend the knee, do various movements with the player, ask them if it's hurting there, if that's uncomfortable. And you're going to try by a process of elimination, figure out what you think the injury might be. But ultimately, until the scan takes place, you couldn't possibly know. You couldn't possibly know the extent of a problem. And Mikel Arteta said to us post-match that Jurian Timber, keep saying Jurian, for God's sake, Jurian Timber felt okay and said he was okay to continue. And as a physiotherapist, as a doctor, to a point, you kind of have to trust what the player is telling you as well, because you, you don't know how each movement is feeling. You don't understand exactly what they are feeling, and therefore it's impossible to make a full assessment. Clearly, they didn't find or they didn't seem to find anything that alarming at the end of the first half for them to even think, take him off as a precaution. We were 2-0 up at the time. There would have been no problem doing that, you feel, if that was the, um, you know, if that was the opinion of the doctor. But clearly, there were no signs. And, and as I say, I personally don't believe that the two knocks or the first knock and then the pulling up in the second half are related. I don't think he went into the second half with a problem that caused this. I think he's just incredibly unfortunate to have picked up this injury. And as I say, we're going to be breaking down a little bit later on how best Arsenal deal with this, how best Arsenal look to cope with this. But hey, Jurian Timber looks as though he's going to be out for a fair bit of time. Um, so how do we 
How do we cope with this injury? Well, Ch Timber for me comes in, has been brilliant, has been a breath of fresh air, has settled into life at Arsenal really, really quickly. And that's been really great to see. Do I think that Timber would have started the game on Saturday and the game on the Sunday prior against Manchester City in the Community Shield final if Alexander Zinchenko had been fit through pre-season and if Alexander Zinchenko had been available and ready to play? I don't, because I don't think Jurian Timber was brought in to play at left-back. I think he's been brought in partly because of his versatility, which means he can cover those positions when you need him to. But I think... For me, he's been in the starting lineup straight away because of Zinchenko's absence. Zinchenko is such a big part of what was so great about this team last season. To Mikel Arteta, he's one of the leaders. He's one of the generals that he sends out on the pitch to kind of be in sub-command of his team, if you like, of his group, of his men. So I think that if we can get Zinchenko back sooner rather than later, then we can get by without Timber for a little while, providing that Ben White stays fit, providing that Tommy Asu stays fit, providing that Saliba and Gabriel can stay fit, which doesn't then require Ben White to be pulled in at centre-back. As, as long as we don't pick up more injuries, we can cope with this for the time being, and hopefully it's not for too long a period of time. But obviously there is a disappointment, and obviously there is a frustration around this. It's like, you know, it's like getting a new car and then somebody within a day smashes into your car. You know, we've just spent 35 million on this brilliant defender who has impressed everybody that's watched him play so far. And within a week of the season starting, within 47 minutes of the start of the season, we've lost him. And it looks as though we're going to have lost him for a long period of time. That is a concern. It is disappointing. But I don't want to be that guy that sits there pointing fingers. This doctor should have picked that up. Mikel Arteta should have taken him off. Yuri and Timber was stubborn and silly and should have understood the extent of what he was feeling in his leg. I don't even think the two things are related. So for me, it's, um, it, you know, that's not the case in, in terms of my opinion. But yeah, here we are. And um, how do we cope with it? Well, I think obviously the natural replacement is Zinchenko. I do think there was a part of Mikel Arteta at the weekend that was concerned maybe about Timber, do, not not concerned about him playing the inverted role, but felt that because of Timber's ability to play at centre-back, actually it was better to do the inversion from the right-hand side. Maybe there was a part of wanting to be unpredictable as well. You look at Arsenal last season, we came up against Nottingham Forest obviously twice, we battered them at home, but we were beaten. Uh, in the away game, uh, Awani, who scored against us this weekend, got the goal that day that made all of the difference and secured Nottingham's Forest place in the Premier League for another year. But there will be a part of Mikel Arteta that wants to shake it up in terms of, well, sometimes we invert from the left in terms of our fullback. Sometimes we're going to do it from the right. And if we can shake that up a little bit and change that up from kind of week to week, then that makes us unpredictable. And that puts us in a really strong position in terms of dealing with sides that only have one intention, which is to stop us playing and all the rest of it. But, you know, we're going to come on to the, the tactical analysis of the game against Forest in a little bit. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in detail. Then Mikel Arteta, to put it short and sweet, decided to sacrifice one of his defenders for an extra midfielder so that he could um, dominate the game in certain areas and, and place players in certain parts of the final third. 
And that was his plan to unlock what was always going to be a very stubborn Nottingham Forest side. But hey, that's the latest on Jury and Timber. Um, Arsenal really deeply concerned by the injury that he picked up. And more than anything, look, we, we're talking about how the team's going to cope. We're talking about who should come in. We're talking about um, all sorts of things related to the team. But let's just take a moment and think about Yuri and Timber. Jury and Timber. He goes again. 16 minutes in, I think I've made that mistake about 10 times. Anyway, think about Jury and Timber here. How demoralizing must it be? You know, you've finally got your dream move to a club that you've always admired from afar. You've come in for relatively big money. You've performed admirably throughout preseason. You come into the side and start the game really, really well against Nottingham Forest. Your first Premier League game. You're sitting there. You're thinking, this is great. I am loving this. I am loving it. And then bang, 47 minutes into your first Premier League game, you pick up an injury like this. Mentally, that's got to be really, really difficult to deal with. And we always talk about what it means for the team and what it means for the selection and how the team best cope with it. A lot of people's knee-jerk reaction would be, well, we need to go back into the transfer market. I don't think that's the case, but I just think, you know, we will obsess about what this means for the team and actually, you know, what this means for the player is is a lot more severe and a lot more difficult to, for him, I'm sure, to, to process and comprehend. Mentally, it's got to be really tough. I've never been a professional footballer, right? But I did my ACL playing football. Uh, when was it? I think it was, I want to say, end of 2016, because I got married in the summer of 2017. And even when I got married in the summer of 2017, some six months on, maybe slightly more from doing that injury, my knee didn't feel quite right. Now, obviously, I didn't have Arsenal overseeing my recovery and all the rest of it. But if I think about how my 2017 started, where I was on crutches, I was, uh, you know, limited to doing very little. I was unable to to enjoy some of the things that I normally enjoy. I found that mentally really, really tough, like really tough. And I'm not as active as Jurian Timber. My livelihood is not based on my ability to run around a football pitch and be competitive. So if I felt like shit like that, then I can only imagine what a pro feels when they pick up an injury like this. And I think it's really important that we point out how difficult this is going to be for Jurian Timber and we spare a thought for him of course, as Arsenal fans. Look, we're going to take a really, really short pause and then we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Arsenal's tactical approach to the game against Nottingham Forest. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Kieran Tierney. Flo Balligan is on the agenda as well. We'll touch on Kai Havertz's role in this system. We're going to talk David Raya. Why on earth hasn't that been announced yet? Knowing my luck, it'll be announced as soon as we finish this podcast. But anyway, we're going to get into all of that stuff in just a mo. So uh, please uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, We will be right back. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and we are talking jury and timber. We're talking Arsenal's tactical approach against Nottingham Forest. We've got all the angles covered on this live edition of the show. And so it's only fair that you have all of your angles covered, uh, which include smashing the like button if you haven't done so already. 
I hate asking. I know people hate the fact that I do ask. I get loads of shit for it in the comments and everywhere else. But honestly, it really, 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 really does help in terms of the channel and how healthy the channel is in terms of being recommended and all the rest of it. So please leave a like on the video. Let's aim for 250 likes. There's more than enough of you watching uh, to be able to uh, achieve that really, really easily. In terms of subscribers, we're on about 19,200 here on the YouTube channel now. So we're about 800 away from hitting that 30,000 mark, which would be amazing. Uh, if you could help us get there, I'd be eternally grateful. <laughs> um, not going to read out Lovely Lion's comments, but yeah, I mean, the sentiment is there. Not quite how I would have put it, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, also, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review as well, because that is very, very much appreciated and also really, really does help. Anyway, um, let's do it then. Let's talk about Arsenal tactically just the other day, because, of course, the Gunners sprung a little bit of a surprise. Mikel Arteta sprung a little bit of a surprise uh, with regards to how he set the team up in that game. Uh, let me just bring this up on your screens uh, so you can see. I would recommend if you are listening on audio and I know that there are people that always listen on audio and, you know, you won't want to change that. But when we do these kind of tactical analysis pieces, it really, really does help if you can see the visuals. So if you are an audio listener only, then why not come over to the YouTube channel, subscribe to it, it's free, uh, and check this out because I think you'll understand a little bit clearer what I'm kind of getting at if I can show you the visuals to go along with it. So when we looked at the team sheet, when the, the lineup was put out, it was Ramsdale, Timber, Saliba, White, Partey, Havertz, Rice, Odegaard, and Ketia, Saka, Martinelli. And the first thing that came to mind was a, where is Gabriel? What has happened to him? There were rumours the day before that Gabriel had picked up some sort of injury and was unlikely to be available. I did wonder if that was a thing when I saw his name removed from the starting eleven. But uh, I was told by Mikel Arteta post-match when I put it to him directly that the decision to leave Gabriel out of the side was purely tactical and there is no concern, no issue, no worry around Gabriel's fitness, which is obviously good news. Then we were trying to figure out what that meant for the team. Now, I'd spoken to various people um, in the ground before kickoff. Some said that they thought that Declan Rice was going into centre-back because that is what was being portrayed by some of the websites where you can go on and check the lineup. You know, they, they draw the team out, whatever. I felt personally straight away that Partey, looking at how things kind of went at the end of last season, was going to be asked at times to drop into the right-back position. I thought that it would be mostly a back three for Arsenal when we were on the ball and that Partey would go into midfield, invert from the right-hand side, use Timber's ability to play at centre-back and sort of instruct him to drop into a back three uh, when it suits and use Partey to go in and out of the midfield. So Arsenal varying it up, shaking it up a little bit, making that inversion from full-back, but this time from the right-hand side. And listen, Arteta talks about it all the time. We need to be unpredictable. We need to be versatile. And this certainly feeds into that, I think. So this is how the team looked off the ball, at least on paper anyway. Ramsdale in goal, Partey sitting in the right-back position, out of possession, becoming part of the midfield uh, when we had the ball. 
And there is a reason for this. We came up against a Nottingham Forest side that played essentially with a back five. Now, it looked on paper like it was a back three with two wing backs. But when you're away to Arsenal and you're Nottingham Forest, with all due respect, you know what that means. Steve Cooper himself spoke uh, post-match and, you know, made it clear that actually Nottingham Forest were quite happy to give up possession for a lot of the time. And I'm going to share with you guys just quickly uh, some of the statistics from the game, because I think this is really, really important. Lots and lots of people, lots and lots of friends of mine uh, were worried by the fact that, you know, it wasn't this runaway win for Arsenal. And and maybe it should have been. And I, and I agree to a point and I agree to a degree. But when you look at these statistics and when you watch the game back with a calm head, having not been through the mill of, um, you know, the, the, the reactions and, and the feelings and emotions that you go through in game, you will see that Arsenal completely dominated this game. And that was the intention. That was the idea behind setting up the way that we did. Look at this. 78% of the ball Arsenal had. 78%. That is an awful lot of possession. 15 shots in comparison to Nottingham Forest, six attempts at goal. They managed just two attempts on target. We only managed seven, which is obviously less than half uh, the amount of efforts that we had at goal and all the rest of it. Um, they managed three corners. We managed eight during the game. But the point I'm trying to make by showing these statistics is that Arsenal dominated and controlled this game. And one of the big reasons that they were able to have 78% possession, apart from being better than Nottingham Forest, is, of course, because of this inverted role that our fullback was playing, because of the role that Thomas Partey was asked to play throughout the afternoon. So let's let's break it down in a little bit more detail. So let's go back to the tactics board. So Arsenal want to occupy defenders, right? Where Mikel Arteta tries to figure out how to break a team down, and I've, I've listened to him speak about this before, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm at a point where I, I understand it now. I, I, I felt like I understood it last season, but obviously, the more you see something, the more you become familiar with the system, the more you can relate to it and the more you can identify the requirements of it, the strengths of it, the weaknesses of it. So when you play against the back five, this is how Mikel Arteta will see it, right? You want to occupy all of the spaces. You want to put yourself in a position where you are one-on-one -on -one with defenders. He wants a player up against every single one of those defenders so that it comes to a point where we are looking to win our individual duels, as Mikel would say. And if you win your individual duels, then you will come out on top. You will create chances. And if you can play in between the lines and if the interplay is right, you only need to peel off of one man. And it kills defences because one of the, the primary principles of defending, if you think in a kind of traditional way, is having a spare man. It's why teams like to play with a back five, because they want to have spare men, not just to deal with the centre forward, but also to be able to go out and support the wing back or full back when they're faced with a tricky winger. Having a spare man is one of the fundamentals when it comes to defending. That's what teams want to have. Nobody wants to take the risk of having all their players left one-on-one -on -one because you lose one duel, you are done for. Okay. Now, Mikel Arteta would have looked at the way that Nottingham Forest were going to line up. He'd have been well aware that they were going to play with a back five. We'd spoken about it in the build-up to the game. And he'd have felt that he needed to occupy all of these defenders. So Eddie Nketiah played as the nine. 
Saka played on the right-hand side and Ola Aina uh, was the guy uh, that was tasked with trying to keep Bukayo Saka quiet. Uh, those two, I thought, had a fascinating duel uh, at times, although, you know, Saka came out on top. I thought it was interesting when Ola Aina sometimes ventured forward to watch how far back Saka would go with him. And, and Saka, to his credit, always puts in a shift and works hard. Martinelli was playing on the right-hand side and he was uh, up against, one second, his name escapes me uh, for a second. He was up against Serge Aurier. How could I forget his name? Horrible, horrible player, uh, based on his uh, Spurs connections. Anyway, um, he was playing on that side, right? So Martinelli having to uh, go up against him. Kai Havertz, who was playing in the left eight role, if you like, was tasked with occupying this space here. And that meant that, one of the centre-backs had to go out and deal with him, had to go out and confront him, uh, wasn't able to be a, a supporting figure to uh, the guy that was playing centrally, Worrell, uh, in dealing with Nketiah. Bowley was occupied by Kai Havertz most of the time. And then you've got Martin Odegaard as well, uh, who we all love and who, who we all know loves to occupy those half spaces. You look at that now, and every single one of Nottingham Forest's back five has a man to deal with. And if any one of them loses that duel or loses that battle, they are up shit street. And that's the idea. That's the thinking behind what Mikel Arteta is trying to do here. Add to that, that Declan Rice goes into the midfield. That nullifies one of their two central midfield players. Thomas Partey comes inside and does that as well, which nullifies the second of their midfield players. You know, Forrest want to double up on Saka, which means now that Morgan Gibbs-White has to come back and help out Ola Aina on that side. Nobody wants to leave Martinelli one-on-one. -on -one, and that means uh, that on the, uh, on the other side, Danilo had to do something very, very similar to help out with Gabriel Martinelli. And all of a sudden, you've isolated uh, Brennan Johnson up front by himself You've got now a back three of White, Saliba and Timber, and you can make sure uh, that those three are in close proximity, nice and tight, nice and narrow to be able to deal with the threat that he poses. But what you've got is you've got one-on-one -on -one situations in, on, on most of the pitch, right? Saka is good enough to beat a couple of men. Martinelli is good enough to beat a couple of men. None of the centre-backs want to go out and support the full-back dealing with Martinelli, for example, because then you leave Havertz, who is really brave in his positioning, because that is what he's been instructed to do. The same with Martin Odegaard. Thomas Partey is excellent, I think, at picking up the ball and dictating play. It wasn't as though he was sat at right-back and asked literally to just sit in that position, play it simple, all the rest of it. He was given that freedom. The shackles were taken off and he was pushed into midfield to go and make things happen along with Declan Rice. And this is how Arsenal suffocate teams. This is how Arsenal suffocate you. And they've been able to do this over the last couple of seasons, over this season and the last one, because they've brought the right personnel in. Forrest's only way out of this is to go long, is to go direct. And if Matt Turner opted to knock a ball out towards uh, the left-hand side, Arsenal's left-hand side, Timber could go across and deal with it. He's got the pace. You'd back him in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Uh, then he can have support from Saliba, who could tuck across. That means Ben White could come back. Partey will make that move back into the right-back position. Arsenal have the players now to be able to deal with long balls, long aerial assaults, and then cover each other and shapeshift 
in a way that means they can get back. This is more like what Arsenal's system actually looked like in play for those of you that are watching us on YouTube. A back three, uh, a midfield duo of Rice and Partey, and then literally a front five who are all in line with one another. There isn't any hesitation. They're not doing it half-assed. You don't see Kai Havertz kind of making that run forward and, and sort of half doing it and getting lost in no man's land. No, there were times, particularly in that first half where Arsenal were playing really, really well, where he was literally standing on the edge of Nottingham Forest's penalty area. This is what Mikel Arteta wanted to achieve by playing the way that we did. And for the most part, it worked. We got caught on the counter-attack from a corner and we conceded a goal, which made the game a lot closer than it needed to be. But again, I go back to the point I made earlier. Arsenal dominated. And that dominance comes in large part from playing this way. Now, this is not a brand new idea. This is not something that Mikel Arteta cooked up over the summer. We saw this really, really often last season as well. The only difference was that we were doing it from the other side. So Zinchenko would be the one doing what Thomas Partey did. And we were reluctant. I, I don't know if we were reluctant, but having Zinchenko in the side meant that he was always going to be the guy that we went to for this. Him being out of the side and Timber being naturally a central defender probably made Mikel Arteta feel, actually, this is an opportunity to try it and do it from the other side. And Partey, who... I don't trust that right back defensively certainly has the ability to step into midfield and dictate a game. And when he does it from that position, meaning he's not picked up, he hasn't got someone pressing him every time he gets the ball uh, before he's even had a chance to look over his shoulder. I think that gives him freedom and that freedom allows him to play uh, in a really, really effective way. As we saw at the weekend, I thought Partey was great uh, on the ball and in midfield. So yeah, this, this is the idea. This is not something new, as I say, but it is something that probably needs to be tweaked in certain games. You know, this was against Nottingham Forest at home. You can get away with it. Hence why Mikel felt uh, that it was okay to sacrifice Gabriel and play this way. You go to Anfield, you don't play this way, as far as I'm concerned. Mikel will probably do it because uh, he's bold and he's brave. And I'd argue that Zinchenko doing it from the left means that when he is required to drop back into the fullback position, as Thomas Partey was at times at the weekend, Zinchenko fits better in at left back than Partey fits in at right back because he's played that position a ton of times. Okay. He is, he isn't by nature necessarily, but he has played as a fullback for a long period in his career. So yeah, I, I think this is what the tactical approach was. It clearly worked. Um, and, and I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Nase says, why wouldn't you do it at Anfield? I mean, the general principle would would be applied at somewhere like Anfield, but it needs to be tweaked. It can't be this bold. It can't be this brave all the time, in my opinion, because Liverpool won't do what Nottingham Forest are doing. Liverpool will sit with a back four and will leave Salah up the pitch and will leave Luis Diaz up the pitch and will leave Jota up the pitch. They they will have the cojones, if you like, to say, no, we can see what you're doing. We're not going to allow it to happen. We're going to push players up and we're going to push you back and pin you back and make it really, really difficult for you. Sides like Nottingham Forest, with all due respect, who come to the Emirates and think a draw would be a wonderful result. And, and listen, that's fine. That, that's that's where they are. You know, they just about avoided relegation last season. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any club here, but there will be sides that will call your bluff, that feel that they are good enough to call your bluff, that feel they'll be good enough to play their way out from the back, regardless of you trying to suffocate them, will feel like they have threat 
um, in behind to go long. Brentford did that to us at the Emirates last season where they just went, we ain't even going to try uh, and play back, uh, play this way. We're just going to go long. We're just going to ping it over the top and we're going to cause you problems that way. You have to be adaptable. It's something we were screaming out for last season. Um, and I think Mikel Arteta uh, is bringing that to the table this season uh, by just changing where the inversion comes from and all the rest of it. So, yeah, um, that's what I made of Arsenal's tactical approach yesterday. We're going to take another really, really short pause. I promise it's just going to be a second or so. Uh, and then we're going to talk Balogun. We're going to talk Tierney. We're going to talk about Tierney's future and how it actually relates, I think, to the Yuri and Timber news. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about David Raya. What's the hold up with that? Why hasn't that been announced? And then we're going to take your questions from the live chat box as well. Remember, um, like, subscribe, all the rest of it. Don't go anywhere. We will be back in just a sec. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, which is part of, of course, the 90 Min Football Network as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And uh, bad news, sort of circling this afternoon, but we're trying to stay positive as best as possible. Um, I do want to mention, before we continue on through the show, um, what an absolute pleasure it was to meet uh, some of you yesterday at the Guna Talk TV's live podcast uh, in North London. It was a, a, a brilliant event. It was splendid. I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm massively thankful to Tom for a organizing it um, and and bringing so many people together. And the great thing is that me and Tom have a lot of the same listeners, um, and to be able to kind of meet people that I only see their names in the chat box for me is amazing. And it's always kind of a little bit awkward on my part, and and I apologize for that. I, I really, really do because. Often people come up to me and they say, oh, hi, Harry, um, I'm so-and-so. And I know the name. Of course I do, because I see it in the chat box. But I don't see your face. And there's a part of me that feels guilty that I, I don't know who you are without having the name there. And and that drives me mad. I hate that. It, it feels like I'm being bloody rude, and I'm not, and I promise I'm not. Um it's uh it's but it's, it's it's honestly great to meet you guys and what a community tom's built there it's, it's unbelievable the event was great fantastic people there the podcast was good fun as well i'm sure tom will be releasing uh parts of it over uh the coming days as well so stay tuned for that and hopefully we can do it all again soon it's just great to um you know just great to see um so many gooners in one place lots of great discussion lots of great chat um and uh yeah wonderful wonderful night okay let's do following balligan first what's the latest on following balligan the truth is nothing uh if we're being honest and um this is causing a little bit of concern now there are reports rumors suggestions that monaco could be about to submit another offer uh for him after it was reported last week that the gunners had turned down uh, an offer from the french club uh, for the striker of course he really did uh, make an impression in Liga and last season. So you can understand why there are clubs circling and why there are clubs uh, that would have seen him up close last season that are interested in his signature. Truth is, and people might shoot me down for this, I feel like Arsenal are being... How do I put this? In comparison to the market, they're not, right? And that's um, that's what people are going to say to me. But I feel like the market's gone bloody bonkers. I, I really do. Look, Moises Caicedo, Good player, 
115 million pounds? Absolutely not. 60 million for Romeo Lavia? No, not having that at all. If I were Chelsea and Liverpool, I'd have walked away from those respective deals. I even say all the time, and I said it to you guys when we'd done the deal, that we probably slightly overpaid for Declan Rice as well. Like I'm not afraid to own that. That's that's the market now. And if you really, really want someone, you, you kind of have to go above and beyond to make that happen. But yeah, just, yeah, I mean... If we're asking for 50 million for following Balogun and we're not going to entertain any offer below that value, then I think we're going to struggle to offload him this summer because I don't think anyone's prepared to pay that. And I always say this, it's not about the valuation that you put on someone. It's about the valuation that somebody's willing to meet because that valuation that you come up with in your head, that fantasy valuation means absolutely nothing if nobody's willing to pay that. And I don't think there is a club out there that will pay 50 million Great British pounds uh, for following Balogun. Might get close to 50 million euros if you're lucky, but you're certainly not going to get 50 million pounds. That's my opinion. I do expect over the course of the next couple of weeks for Arsenal to slightly compromise on that valuation. Um, the player doesn't want to be here. Mikel Arteta isn't going to use him at this point. You don't feel... Uh, Eddie Nketiah is ahead of him. Uh, Kai Havertz is ahead of him in terms of playing at centre forward. Gabriel Jesus is obviously sidelined at the moment, but when he's available, he will undoubtedly be ahead of him uh, in the pecking order. And so, you know, Balogun wants to go, let him go. Um, Spurs have been linked with him today. And that's why I wanted to talk about this. No, I, I, no, we're not giving him to Spurs. Come on. Um, the only way I would ever even entertain that idea if I were Arsenal Football Club is if they came in with a ridiculous offer. And by ridiculous, I mean £50 million pounds plus because I think anything above that in pounds would be nuts um, in terms of spending on following Balogun. We know they got the money now. They just shipped off Harry Kane for £100 million. So, yeah, but look, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Arsenal would sanction that deal. I don't think Tottenham would want to pay the premium that would be required to take away a player from their fiercest rivals. So I don't think this is a goer. I actually can't believe that this has even been discussed. It's one of those classic examples of, I don't know anything. I haven't got any information. So I'm going to get two plus two and I'm going to come out with six and see if anyone notices. Tottenham need a striker. Okay. Arsenal need to sell Balogun. But that's about as far as this story goes, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, um, that's where I'm at on that. Uh, no update in terms of any move being close for following Balogun, but I still do expect him to leave. And I do expect, as I say, Arsenal to just lower their valuation a little bit as the window moves on. Um, let's discuss Kieran Tierney because talk of him joining Newcastle has resurfaced again. Um, it went quiet, didn't it, for a long period of time. A lot of us felt that maybe there'd been a U-turn on Kieran Tierney and, and you know, what's going on there. He is um, not a part of Mikel Arteta's first choice defence. That's clear. He wasn't even in the squad on Sunday, on Saturday, I beg your pardon, which maybe is indicative of, of where the club are at and where he's at in terms of his headspace right now. Lots of chat about Real Sociedad being heavily interested, but also um, when you delve into that story and you look at it in a bit more detail, it becomes apparent and clear that they don't have the money to buy him and they are looking for a loan deal. Maybe that includes an obligation to buy. Maybe that includes an option to buy at the end of it. 
unless Arsenal are going to guaranteed get money in for Kieran Tierney. And that can be tomorrow or that can be in a year down the line because you can earmark those funds against other deals or the rest of it. Unless Arsenal are going to guaranteed get money in for Kieran Tierney, then as far as I'm concerned, particularly given the news about Julian Timber, you do not let him go. You do not let him go. The way that we played on Saturday, where the right back was the one that was going into midfield. If worse came to worse and push came to shove, Kieran Tierney could be that left centre-back, the one that plays on the left that sits at full-back when we're without the ball comfortable, that he's a position that he's very comfortable in and becomes a part of a back three and becomes a left centre-back, essentially. I'm more comfortable with Kieran Tierney doing that, being a left centre-back, when the right-sided player is going into midfield, then I am with him being the one asked to invert. Because I just don't think he looks comfortable doing that. I don't think he's got the vision to play that. I don't think he's got the uh, the line-breaking passes in his armoury that Thomas Partey does or or, or Urien Timber does or whatever. So, yeah, in that instance, in, in that setup and in that shape, I actually think Kieran Tini can still do a job for us, despite him maybe falling by the wayside as Arsenal tactically have evolved over the last year, 18 months. Um, but you don't let this guy go out on loan. Now, you especially don't give him on loan to Newcastle United, who are ultimately going to be rivals of ours at some point this season. Nah, you, you get the money in, you get serious money in, or you keep him. It's about time that Arsenal started being a little bit selfish and thinking about themselves in these situations because, you know, we can't afford to leave ourselves short. We want to compete on multiple fronts, all the rest of it. We need that strength in depth. Kieran Tierney is a part of that. And unless, as I say, you're going to bring in some serious cash that allows you to manoeuvre elsewhere in the transfer market or whatever, then you do not allow this guy to go. So my stance on that is very, very firm at the moment. And even more so following this news about Julian Timber. If we hear that Timber's going to be out for a month, which would be a dream scenario given what we're hearing right now, then maybe that changes. And maybe you would sanction a loan deal that will lead to a secured payment later down the line. But you do not do it at this moment in time. David Raya, what on earth is going on with that? Why haven't we had an announcement? He was at Wembley last Sunday um, to watch the Community Shield final. He was at Emirates Stadium on Saturday. He was in attendance. He was spotted in the mix zone post-game. But no official announcement on this just yet. I, I wonder when we're going to get this. As I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we finish this podcast and we got it right away. I wonder if the club are being a little bit tactical here. I wonder if they are going to put something out about Yuri and Timber um, in the near future and then follow it on with some David Ryan news to maybe lift the mood around the place again. I don't know. Um, but as far as I've been told and as far as I'm aware, this deal is done. Signed, sealed, delivered, medicals taken place, all the rest of it. There's no concern here. This is done. Um, it's just a matter of time as to when we're going to get that announcement. And I just wonder if Arsenal are holding it back for a bit um, just to kind of let the dust settle on the timber stuff um, and then use that to maybe raise the mood around the place. I don't know. Just a hunch. Anyway, we're going to do your questions for the last 10 or so minutes of the program. Thank you. Uh, to everybody that's in the live chat at the moment. Now it's your time to shine. Get in the chat box and start putting your questions in and I'll work my way through as many of those I possibly can in the allotted time. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't done that already. 172 likes on the board. 
But across the platforms, there are over 600 of you watching. That means not even half of you have bothered to press the like button yet. Come on, guys, please. It really, really does help. Uh, like, subscribe, all the rest of it. And let's work our way through some of your questions right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Ah, ah, my favorite part of the show. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, let's see what we got here. Um, <laughs> uh, Mosen says, I won't believe a single thing Arteta says. He told us Saliba would be back in a week. Um, whereas the French media said he was out for the season straight away. Yeah, but look, on the one hand, I understand the frustration around something like that. But by that same token, like Mikel Arteta might not always want to show his hand. And and you have to accept that, man. Like his job as a manager is to manage his football club to the best of his ability. And for example, if he had said that Saliba was out for the entire season, if he, I don't think he knew that. I don't think Arsenal knew that. I think there was hope at the beginning that he was going to come back sooner than he ended up coming back. But I just think, like, if you're a manager, you're up against Manchester City in this title fight, this title race, this, you know, this duel between two juggernauts and two clubs that had put very few feet wrong over the course of the season up until that point. You do not want to give them the psychological boost. I'm just fixing this blind, by the way. That's why it's gone really dark in here. One second. There we go. Let's raise the blind a little bit. It's gone dark outside all of a sudden. Um, you do not, if you're Mikel Arteta, go, by the way, City, whilst we're up against you in a title race, we have just lost our best player for the remainder of the season. What a boost that would have given Manchester City. You can understand why he didn't want to put that out, even if he knew it. As I say, I don't think at the very beginning anybody knew or anticipated that Saliba would be out for as long as he was. I think people feared it. But I think there was always that optimism within the camp that they'd be able to get him into a place where he could see out the season. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, Diego says, why not Rice as a centre-back off the ball instead? Yeah, um, that is an option too. But I wouldn't necessarily like to see Rice playing as the left centre-back, given how right-footed he is. Um, Timber is right-footed, but he's a little bit more cute in his movement, and I think it would be less of a problem for him. Um, I don't think that's ideal either, though, Timber playing on the left. As I said to you guys earlier, I think that's only a thing because Zinchenko is not available uh, at this moment in time. Uh, I'm not saying I'd put Tierney in ahead of Rice if if that if it came down to it. it looking at the whole model, I don't know. Um, but the point I was making about Tierney is that I trust him as a centre-back as part of a back three, not in a in a two, but I trust him as a third centre back more than I trust him as the guy asked to go into midfield and play that hybrid role. Um, so yeah, but Rice is not a bad chat, and again, it's another option, isn't it? And it highlights the versatility point that we keep banging on about. Uh, Steve says, "Is Kieratini's game time more important than wins for Arsenal? Absolutely not." And that's the harsh reality of elite level football. Like, yeah, it'd be great if Kieratini got to play more football. And I'm sure he'd be appreciative of the fact that, you know, Arsenal at some point will probably have to let him go to go and play more football. But right now, if you're ambitious and, you know, you you want to push all the way, then then you don't let him go. You, you just don't. Um, 
you know, by that same token, if the player is knocking on your door, trying to force the move, will you say then, well, get one of these clubs that is tapping you up, that is chatting to you behind the scenes, that has promised you the world to come and make us an offer that would tempt us. You know, a loan offer is not going to do that. You know, and you only allow players to go on a kind of luxury basis, i.e., you know, you feel like you've got enough to cover them if you really do believe that you have that cover. And with Timber picking up this injury, I don't think we do. I think prior to this injury with Timber, then I think we probably were in a place where we would accept something not ideal, attractive enough, but not ideal, in order to help Kieran Tierney get back on track and, and, and play regular football. But we don't have that luxury now. And that's unlucky for Tierney. I'm sure it is unlucky for Tierney. And I'm sure he feels that way if indeed he is pushing for a move. But that's that's the reality of this sport and, and how cutthroat you need to be sometimes at the very top. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Afsar Gunnar says, why do players at Arsenal always get injuries? Is there something wrong with the training methods at Arsenal? Uh, just look at the last 10 years. I don't know. There's a bit of luck involved in this as well. I think there are things that you can probably do as a football club to mitigate the risks, but or, or limit the risks, I should say. But I mean, this one was incredibly unlucky, wasn't it? Like incredibly unlucky. The Saliba injury was incredibly unlucky the way it came about. Um, we saw Tyrone Mings do his ACL uh, the other day. Emi Buendia did it just before the season started. These things are are, are so you know, they're so common nowadays that it's unfair to point at Arsenal and say, well, Arsenal must be doing something wrong and that's why we're in this position. Uh, let's take this one. Uh, Reese Nelson is a player we haven't talked about that much this season so far because he's not really been involved. But Angel Hernandez says, do you think Nelson can make an impact this season? Seems fully fit now. I do. I do. I think he can. Um, I think he can have an impact like he did at times last season, more so from the left than from the right. But I think given the makeup of the squad, there will be times where he'll be asked to play from the right and he's got to take those opportunities. What else have we got? Um, Pedro says, are there any takers for Tavares and the others? Uh, at the moment, I think there are clubs expressing an interest, but I don't think there are clubs who are willing to meet, again, what Arsenal's valuation is for this player at this moment in time. But just like, as I said, with Balogun, I think as the window goes on, Arsenal will look to soften their stance or will have to soften their stance if they're going to move these players on. And Mikel has made no secret of the fact that right now the squad's too damn big and he's got to change it and he's got to cut it back, cut it down, trim it down. Uh, so I think you will get that as the window goes on. Let's take this one uh, from uh, Boyega, uh, who says, do you think Timber's injury will influence the position our last signing will be in. I think Raya's probably would have been the last signing. Let me just change that, tweak that wording. I think that Raya would have been the last signing. I think that there will be a temptation on Arsenal's part, particularly if they can get money in for Tierney, particularly if they can get um, Balogun out the door, if they can get something for Tavares, something for Lukonga. Even if, as I say, it's down the line, I think there will probably be a temptation for Arsenal to go and dip back into the market. But it all depends on the uh, on the prognosis here. It all depends on how long we expect this guy to be out for. If it's two or three months, then I don't think that that will push Arsenal into transfer activity. If it's nine months, that's a different thing. 
And, um, you know, he was brought in for a reason. He was brought in because we felt we needed that cover. And if you've lost that cover and you've managed to bring in some money from elsewhere, there will be a temptation to go out and try and replace him, of course. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Um, thank you so, so much uh, for tuning in, uh, for joining me on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Remember, uh, if you haven't done so already, like the video. doesn't cost a thing. We're only on 211. Let's get to 300. Come on. It's easy, easy stuff. Subscribe to the channel as well if you're brand spanking new. Let's keep our eyes open for any uh, news on Jurian Timber. What we do know, though, uh, is that uh, the outlook doesn't look great. And I am concerned um, by this. And uh, hopefully we get... Look, at, at this point, I'm at the point now where if I hear that it's two or three months, I'll take that because I really do fear that this is going to be a lengthy period um, on the sidelines for Jurian Timber. It weakens our squad. It robs us of the excitement of watching him settle in and continue to impress at the very beginning of his Arsenal career. But again, as I said earlier on, spare a thought for Jurian Timber because this must be incredibly demoralising. And, um, you know, I know he'll be well looked after at Arsenal and I know he'll have great people around him supporting him and all the rest of it. But, yeah, this is not ideal. Not at all. Thank you all for tuning in once again. I'll catch you all soon. And until next time, take care of yourselves and uh, goodbye. Have a great evening. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.